You're listening to Season 8, Episode Number 14 of Strike the Match. In this episode, I discuss mission in the book of Revelation. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. And so we come to another episode of Strike the Match. Welcome, everyone. Hey, if you are just joining the Strike the Match listening audience, welcome. If this is your first time here, let me encourage you to go back through Season 8 and check out some of the other episodes. I hate to say this, but I not only have to give you a welcome, but I also have to give you uh, a farewell uh, with this episode because today's episode actually concludes our eighth season. And so go back and check out the previous episodes in this season. I've been teaching through my book, Theology of Mission, A Concise Biblical Theology. And for those of you that have been along this journey, uh, now we come to the end, and there will be a lull in time before Season 9, Lord willing, is posted. Let me also encourage you to go back through the previous seven seasons. There are a variety of guests. There are many topics that I address uh, related to missions and innovation and leadership And so I hope you'll take a moment over the next uh, several weeks between the seasons to listen to what has been previously posted. Today's episode, looking at Mission in the Apocalypse. This is actually my, probably my favorite chapter of the book. There's so much that's packed in here. I I wish I had time to be able to go into this in much greater detail with you, but again, Check out the book. There are all kinds of notes there, other scholars, resources that I will point you toward for additional information. When we come to this book, uh, I think it's a book, Book of Revelation. When, When we come to this book, I think it is a book that the topic of God's mission is often overlooked. And to be fair, I think that we could also say that there are a great number of topics related to life and ministry, uh, doctrine, that is found in Revelation, but we often shy away from this book because of the apocalyptic nature, or maybe I should say the apocalyptic genre in which it is written. Uh, and so we we often push back and we 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 don't like to spend a great deal of time in this book. I think it's a fascinating book. Uh, so much more I wish I could say uh, about just my learning in uh, the book of Revelation over the past several years. Let me jump in. There's a lot to say, a lot to do, a lot to cover, short period of time. So here we go. The book of Revelation was written to, as we know, in chapter 1, the seven churches in Asia Minor, and, and it provides a glimpse into some of the contextual issues of the first century, as well as an unveiling, by what we see in chapter 1, verse 1, an unveiling of things that must soon take place. John exhorts the churches to continued faithfulness. Big, big issue, theme in this book. The hermeneutical challenges related to this book 
should not keep us away. Yes, there are challenges, clearly. Rather, remember the words in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, the one who hears and keeps the words of this prophecy is truly blessed. John writes the book to provide an eschatological continuity with the Old Testament. You want to understand Revelation? Study and understand the Old Testament. This New Testament writing is rich in Old Testament imagery and serves as an excellent linchpin uniting mission theology of both Testaments. While the Old Testament saints clearly anticipated an age to come, it was the expanse of time bridging their present realities to this future that was less less clear in their minds. Uh, The mission of God to redeem the world uh, would continue until the day of the Lord. It was at that moment, separating the old age and the new age, that the eschaton would begin with the outpouring of the Spirit in gathering of the nations, the judgment, and the establishment of Messiah's restored eternal kingdom. Of course, go back to what we talked about as we looked at the book of Acts. There on the day of Pentecost, uh, excuse me, uh, not only the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, but even going back to uh, chapter 1 in Acts, uh, the disciples' response, Jesus, are you now going to restore your kingdom? And so the understanding of the time between the coming of the Lord and his spirit upon all people and the day of judgment was still very foggy in their their minds. Um, the New Testament. The New Testament clarifies and develops Old Testament eschatology. The mission of God continues with the coming of Christ who arrives to give his life as a ransom for his people. He is resurrected and returns to heaven and sends the Spirit. The kingdom is inaugurated at Advent, but comes in fullness when he returns. This what has been called realized eschatology, has led some to argue for an overlap of the old and new ages until the parousia. The last days began in the first century, and the pattern of purpose that we've talked about over this season, the pattern of purpose continues. The church is sent to bear witness to Christ and his kingdom, offering a foretaste of life in the kingdom to come. She is to proclaim a message of both hope through judgment. The peoples who receive this message by faith enter into relationship with God and his people, and they experience his blessings. During these last days, the Gentile ingathering takes place as the gospel advances. When Christ returns, the judgment and the new heaven and earth will follow. And so when we get into Revelation we see that aspect of those things being carried out in the last days until the new heaven and earth. Now, when we look at this book and we think about the theme, or excuse me, the, uh, the, the topic of, of mission in Revelation, the way that I kind of break this down is to think about, again, our sub-theme of the blessing of the nations. And what we see in Revelation is that it happens through... Uh, number one, blessing the nations through promises fulfilled to Abraham and David. We'll see that. Number two, the blessing the nations through the Lamb's ransom. Number three, the blessing the nations through suffering and death. And that is specifically related to the church. 
Number four, the blessing of the nations through encouragement and exhortation. Number five, the blessing of the nations through the return of the king. And then finally, the sixth way that we see the mission of God expressed in this book is the blessing of the nations through the elect's redemption and cosmic restoration. The elect's redemption and cosmic restoration. So let me go ahead and begin with this first sub-theme in Mission and Revelation. Blessing the nations through promises fulfilled to Abraham and David. Most of the images used in Revelation are taken from Old Testament writings familiar to John's readers. Approximately 350, 350 Old Testament allusions and references may be found in the book of Revelation. John communicates the same one who created all things is worthy to receive all worship from all nations. The promises of the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants come to fulfillment in the book of Revelation as Christ's reign is universal and all of the nations are blessed. Second, second sub-theme, the blessing of the nations through the Lamb's ransom, through the Lamb's ransom. So Revelation notes that cosmic restoration and the universal reign of Christ came at great cost. Though John weeps loudly in this book when he thinks no one is able to open the scroll of God to execute God's will in the cosmos, Revelation chapter 5, he is relieved to find that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And so we see in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Uh, This statement, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Now, these two verses, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5, these two verses reveal the centrality of the gospel, not only in Revelation, but in God's mission. The redemption of the fallen creation through the atoning sacrifice of Christ is the means by which God restores people to a right relationship with himself. This good news is available to all nations. Jew and Gentile are now united under one God and kingdom. They represent his priests on earth and mediate their faith in him to others. They also reign with him. This result is truly amazing. An ethnically diverse priesthood reigning with the Messiah would have been a scandalous thought. John draws from the language and concept of Exodus chapter 19 and Isaiah chapter 61. Just as God gave the priesthood to his people at Sinai, the lamb slain has the same authority to give such responsibility to the citizens of the kingdom. But next, the blessing of the nations through suffering and death, through suffering and death. Revelation notes the gospel continues to advance until the end in a world that is dominated by an ungodly system represented by the influence of Babylon. 
while the good news will advance throughout the nations, generally, generally speaking, societies will not progress for the better. Opposition to the church will come from both within and outside her ranks. False teachers, persecution, variety of things. Uh, violence surrounds the church in the book of Revelation. And it's in this context of violence, John observes and hears a startling reality that comes from under the altar in heaven. The souls of the martyrs cry out to God for vengeance, but they are given glorious garments and they're told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. Revelation chapter 6, verse 11. Those who conquered the beast and its image glorified God who worked his mission through their suffering. And we see that in Revelation chapter 15. Faithful service in God's mission does not guarantee protection from such evil. As Jesus promised in the Gospels, it is a dangerous thing to follow him on mission in a world controlled by the God of this age. Yet, in such opposition, John calls for believers to remain faithful and endure. Revelation chapter 13, verse 10. They are to bear witness to the gospel and the coming kingdom that the nations may come to live under the king's reign. The faithful who perish during such acts are called blessed. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. So the faithful ones, the faithful ones who conquer the devil, according to Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they do so by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And while it may appear that satanic opposition has the upper hand, it is Jesus, who's, Jesus in this book who holds control over death and Hades chapter 1, verse 19, and eventually cast them along with Satan and his demons into the lake of fire. We see this in chapter 19 and chapter 20. The seed of the woman, go all the way back to our discussion about the mission of God in Torah, the seed of the woman crushed the head of the serpent on the cross and in the tomb. Soon that seed will cast the serpent into hell. The next thing we see in this book related to mission and revelation, the blessing of the nations through encouragement and exhortation. So when you're reading through this book and you see such opposition and such death and such violence and hardships and struggles and challenges, the concept of encouragement and exhortation are the concepts, excuse me, the concepts of encouragement and exhortation are intimately connected to God's mission and how he's going to bless the nations. So through the book, or excuse me, though the book, though the book concludes with the amazing defeat of death and the removal of suffering in chapter 21, much of the book contains a very dark shadow of hurt, death, opposition, war, famine, and judgment. Therefore, John begins by extending grace and peace from God to the churches, back in chapter 1, verse 4. And he reminds them of Jesus' love and sacrifice for their freedom from sin, chapter 1, verse 5. From this reminder, 
Revelation unfolds with Jesus acknowledging the difficulties of the seven churches in Asia Minor. Kingdom life and labors are challenging in a world that shows no respect for the king and his people. The king is in control, but matters are to get worse, much worse on the earth before things get better. For this reason, John writes to emphasize God's sovereignty and from there provide encouragement and exhortation to faithful service. Jesus reminds the churches he is well aware of their endurance and faithfulness and that they should continue to walk in such practice. A day is coming when the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God and his Christ, and his kingdom will never end, according to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation encourages mission. Those bearing witness to the gospel frequently need encouragement, and John pauses at times to call the churches to endurance and faithfulness. We see this in chapter 13, verse 10, chapter 14, verse 12, chapter 16, verse 15. In the faithful, or it is in the faithful, who are rewarded by being spared from the second death. John writes to encourage and exhort the churches to continue in witness by visualizing a description of the throne room of God. The followers of Jesus, and this is so important, the followers of Jesus have gone into the world to make disciples of all nations. And I know that's not out of Johannine writings, but hearkening back to the Matthean Great Commission. The followers of Jesus have gone into the world to make disciples of all nations, and John's heavenly observation reveals the fruit of their labors. And that's where we find that all-famous verse that in mission circles we share all the time and encourage each other with all the time, Revelation 7, verse 9, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, and before the Lamb. Next, the blessing of the nations through the return of the King. The blessing of the nations through the return of the King. The final words of the book reiterate the emphasis on the King's return. The reader is reminded to keep the words of this book for Jesus is coming soon, Revelation 22, verse 7. John is told not to seal up the words of this revelation because the time is near, 22 verse 10. When Jesus returns, he will bring recompense and repay everyone for their actions, 22 verse 12. And in case such redundancy is insufficient to communicate the point, 22 verse 20, surely I am coming soon, are the words that concludes the book before John extends grace to his readers. Calling attention to the suddenness of the events of the book serves various purposes. Any believers who may be considering abandoning the faith or neglecting faithfulness should temper such thoughts with the king's return. When he arrives, he will bring his reward with him. The blessings promised to the nations will arrive, but the gospel must reach the nations while time remains. The intimacy of God's fellowship with his people will no longer be hindered by sin. The churches in the midst of trials and persecutions are to take courage and remain faithful in bearing witness to the gospel they have received. Christ has not forgotten them and is returning soon, and they must continue the global task before the end. And finally, 
the blessing of the nations through the elect's redemption and cosmic restoration. The elect's redemption and cosmic restoration. The application of God's mission is universalistic. Universalistic. He desires to bless the nations through redemption in Christ. John's vision reveals this is not the same as universalism, the belief that everyone will be saved. If John had not made this point clear with his vision of the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, he reiterates his point in a different fashion regarding the new Jerusalem. Quote, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21, verse 27. The dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and Revelation 22, verse 15, everyone who loves and practices falsehood are those who are not permitted in the city of God. The biblical theme of restoration reaches its climax in Revelation. The reader finally encounters the scene where the one who tempted Adam and Eve is destroyed, and a new heaven and earth are formed. John notes, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11, verse 15. This recreation reminds readers of a variation of Eden. God proclaims, Behold, I am making all things new, chapter 21, verse 5, and announces in 21, verse 6, It is done. As the holy city descends from heaven as a bride prepared for a wedding, This place is for those who desire it and are conquerors, 21 verse 7, while those who practice sin find their portion in the lake of fire, 21 verse 8. Missing from the new heaven and earth is the physical temple. However, the massive dimensions of the urban context and the language used of the new heaven and earth represent a restored temple. The Genesis concept of earth as a planetary temple filled with God's image bearers now finds fullness in Revelation. Unlike the Old Testament temple with its courts and veil that separated people from God in the new creation, their relationship is unhindered by the effects of sin. God's dwelling is with humanity. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. What once was, shall be again. This time, however, it will be even greater. God's image bearers will fill the new earth, glorifying him and experiencing the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. No wonder John ends his book with the phrase in 22 verse 20, Come, Lord Jesus. Revelation not only concludes the New Testament, but takes readers back into the Old Testament. John draws heavily, deeply from Torah and the prophets to provide a vision of what was and is to come. And so, kind of at this point, let me just encourage you uh, to go back and, and once again listen to Uh, the discussion of mission in Torah and mission in the prophets. And I think that you will begin to get a much fuller understanding of how this concept is developed in Revelation.
John draws deeply from Torah and the prophets to provide a vision of what was and is to come. The difficult days foretold by Jesus in the Gospels comes to pass in Revelation. Churches were struggling to remain faithful to the mission of God. They needed hope. They needed encouragement. They needed exhortation. They needed to see the bigger picture. John pulls back the curtain to reveal the sovereign over the world, the sovereign who is over Satan, and the sovereign who is over his church. He is faithful to his covenants, redeems and sustains his priests, and comes to judge evil and restore all things. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Strike the Match. As I conclude Season 8, I hope that you will continue to think deeply about the notion of theology of mission and your place in it. You have been listening to Strike the Match with JDA. You can find JD on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.